Welcome to the Road Less Traveled, listeners. I am your host, DB, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about my transportation from prison all the way up to camp. Now, camp is, it's kind of what it sounds like. I mean, it's not exactly a summer camp. They don't have all sorts of uh, fun activities set up for you. The activities are more in line with uh, working, you know, all those things that you see in the movies, like creating license plates or, uh, I don't know, having animal programs or whatnot. They actually do have those available, at least in the state that I was in. I've spoken about on uh, previous episodes that uh, they ended up making me a wildland firefighter. So I'll go into more details about that. But this is that location because the normal way of how things proceed is you commit an offense, you go to jail. From jail, you are then either released on bail or you await trial. Most people often reach a plea deal. If it's a felony, well, then you're definitely going to prison. After you get transitioned over to prison, you hopefully uh, work your way down from the maximum security prison that you start in to hopefully a minimum, or excuse me, a medium, and then hopefully a minimum. Uh, thankfully for me, since I had put so much time in at county jail, I did two years there. Uh, once I finally got to prison, I'd already had like coming up on like two and a half years in. So they basically fast-tracked me to camp. Now, things could have gone very poorly because a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that my uh, last cellmate while I was in prison uh, was young and impressionable and wanted to make a name for himself. So the uh, the A-dubs or the, you know, the white gang that was running the yard at the time, they made him hold the pruno, uh, which is something that I really did not want in my cell. Uh, Pruno is a um, basically an alcohol that you can make in prison. It's just rotting fermented fruit. Uh, they do a few other things to make it um, drinkable, with, like adding a little bit of yeast, sugar, I don't know, whatever, whatever they need to do to make it do the things that turn it in to alcohol. I didn't want it in my cell because one, I'd had a DUI charge that involved alcohol and then I'd been involved in an accident where someone lost their life. So I was already looking at six to 20 plus years in this facility. I didn't want to lose any of my time because when you get to prison, they factor in your good time. They factor in your work time. You get everything up front. Now that sounds good in theory. Sounds very good in theory. But the system is so overburdened with people that there is no way to get your work time because you actually have to be working in order to get that. So you, go, you can only lose days. So for every month you're not working, you can lose up to whatever it was. I think it was like six days and then that got factored in to the end of your sentence. So the first few months that I was in prison, that was also uh, all basically downtime or dead time. I was only losing days. My release date kept moving further and further away from me. They don't take into account the fact that, oh, well, you can't work. There's nothing available. They don't care. Also, no programs were on offer to me because when I finally met with my caseworker, I was very, um, let's say... Uh, mentally drained from county. You know, I wanted to be productive. I wanted to help myself. I also wanted to like finally start, 
you know, maybe getting certifications or education or something that I can, once I hopefully go up for parole years down the line, I can say, look, this is what I did with my time. I tried to rehabilitate myself. That way I can, you know, basically plead my case to these people because for me personally, there wasn't a big need to reform. You know, I wasn't an alcoholic when I'd gotten in. I'd had a very big problem with alcohol because it led to my accident. However, I was not an alcoholic. I didn't go through withdrawals. I didn't have some mental or physical need for said alcohol. Honest to God, like, I don't ever know if I'll ever want to drink again. Like, it's just... One, like all the good times, if I could give those up to take away one really, really bad time, I would, obviously. So, like, I do have this hesitation towards ever even wanting to drink again, as well as getting behind the wheel. I don't know how I'll feel about that. So, my big hope, obviously, then being in a much better environment was to also make something better of myself, hoping eventually down the line, like I could get enough of these things to justify to the parole board. Like, Hey, I'm a good candidate for parole. So the downside was when I met with my caseworker, he said that if I applied for any programs while I was in prison, in this main prison, this first prison that I went to, that I would not be eligible to be transferred to camp that I would actually need to complete the program that I was enrolled in or the class or the certification. And once I completed it, then I could get my name added to the list to be transferred to this new facility. So I agreed with him. I don't sign me up for any of those things. When should I expect to hopefully go up to camp? And he said, you know, whenever a bed's available, could be a few months, could be much longer. You never know. So, Thankfully, it only took me about four months total, maybe three and a half from the point that I got out of the fish tank, the very first place where you're classified, spent about 23 days there, went to a level three unit, was there for a few more months. And thankfully, like I said, I got the call one day uh, saying, hey, it's like midnight or one in the morning, something stupid. And they're like, I noticed beforehand, like a lot of people would I was very curious, like, hey, when would I know that I'm leaving? Like, I met with my caseworker. They said that I'd be going. And they said they don't tell you in advance because they worry that during transportation, you may have alerted your friends, family, or, you know, fellow gang members or whoever that uh, you're headed to this place. So, come on, spring me out. Get, get me gone. So, they don't let you know in advance. Things that will tip you off, however, and it's pretty stupid, but, like, the day before my phone stopped working, like I wasn't able to call anyone. My commissary account got locked down, so I wasn't able to order anything. Like there's a few signs where you kind of can guess like, okay, tomorrow I'm probably leaving. Now, I wasn't about to use anyone else's phone number because they do have voice recognition software and they could lock down both of our phones as well as possibly give me an escape charge because... Everything in prison is dependent upon whoever is in charge, how far they want to press the issue. They can say and do absolutely anything. They are the ones in control. They are the ones in power. I am the one wearing the prison blues. 
anything I say, hoping like maybe they'll listen or hear me. So I was always very afraid to ever step out of line, to ever question authority, to ever do anything to get people to take notice of me. I was like, please, I just want to fly under the radar and I just want to get through this. So um, I had kept very minimal stuff. Like I got just a little bit of things that I needed to get by, again, hoping that I would be transferred to camp. So I didn't have much things to bring with me. It was some paperwork. It was a few books. Uh, It was like an alarm clock, toothbrush, like the little hygienic things that you need for your day to day. So I traveled light. They gave me one green army duffel bag. They said, basically, have it packed up and ready to go. This is midnight, by the way. I'd just fallen asleep. They said, pack all your shit up and then leave it outside. And then we'll be getting you uh, shortly. Shortly happened to be three in the morning. So, yeah, it was pretty short (laughs) a few hours later. And then they transferred me uh, to a holding cell, uh, which I sat in for about two and a half hours. Just, you know, tired, cold, uh, (laughs) There was only one other person there, I guess, that was getting transferred. So we got uh, basically shackled together. Um, Or excuse me, actually, they don't do the shackling together when you're in prison. That was only during county. Uh, they, They did do the ankle cuffs. They did the belly chain. They did all that fun stuff. And they had us walk single file, which is really hard to shuffle when your ankles are bound. And man, those cuffs, they're so heavy. And they just dig into your skin and they they rattle against your ankles, your bones. And it's just, it's very uncomfortable. It's very degrading. It's super dehumanizing. Um, it's just something that always stuck with me. Like I've tried to like write it off in my head because I knew like the experience that I went through was justified. I, I deserved it. So I was always able to approach whatever I was going through or with this this humble kind of understanding, like this is how it is supposed to be. No better, no worse, just like uh, this is how it's supposed to be. And it helped having that perspective. So we got loaded up onto a little, uh, we got loaded up and it's still like a big bus. It's like the size of a Greyhound bus. And it's white, like not supposed to be very, um, not stand out too much be kind of nondescript, be, you know, just, just another big, large bus, so to speak. However, on the windows were metal gratings where it was almost like a screen, metal screen. You could barely see out. And uh, we were loaded up onto this bus and we went to another uh, prison that was more or less like right down the road, right next door. And it was the medium security facility uh, that I never made my way to, which I was very thankful. All I heard about that facility were nightmare stories where it was stories about like, since it was medium uh, security, the guards were a little more, um, you know, lax in how they watch people, which the place that I had been at, I promise you, I watched a guard just sit in his chair and spin around for 30 minutes, not watching us, not doing his checks, not caring, not whatever, like, Most of those people were glorified babysitters and they were just there to collect a paycheck. They were hoping that shit wouldn't happen because they didn't want to either do the paperwork or be involved. And that's just how it was. Saw a lot of it. So 
got loaded up onto the oh excuse me anyway so i heard the medium security facility i'd heard it was basically a party prison like you went there that's where all the drugs were that's where all the cool people were i'm like what the i do not want to be involved with any of that i don't want to go to a fun drug-filled crazy place because that's how you get caught up like what if my cellmate's doing drugs? Is he going to own up to it if we get sh- uh, like a shakedown where they go through all our shit? Is he going to say, no, 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 they're mine. Like he had nothing to do with it. Or are we just going to be targeted? Am I going to also get in trouble? It was just like the Pruno thing. Like the kid had gotten caught like a week before. I am now in my head afraid I won't get to go to camp. I'm going to get a write-up. Even if I do go to camp, like, will that write-up follow me? Will I be returned back to real prison because he didn't, like, own up to his side of things? Thankfully, that never happened. But it was a very real fear. It was insanely stressful all the time because I had absolutely no control over anything other than myself. And sometimes not even that much. How do you control yourself when you can't control your environment? Aren't you a product of your environment? There might be something to be said about that. So we go down to the medium security facility. We uh, get offloaded from the van, uh, the bus. I had to wait again a couple more hours in a holding cell. Uh, right around now, it's about lunchtime. We got... Um, we got some food or whatever, like some some of the sack nasty lunches, little bologna sandwiches. And then a whole bunch of us now got loaded back up to that uh, large prison transport bus. Now, we got transferred basically across the entire state. Because our state happens to have multiple prisons and they're located in the different regions. We have basically a northern side that has multiple prisons. We have a southern side that has multiple prisons. Uh, So I was going from south to north. That bus ride was six and a half fucking hours long. And that was the quick way. Like, I mean, they were taking by roads, side roads, just all these crazy ways to go. Again, because they don't want someone to try to hit the uh, transport bus and get people free. But it's all middle of nowhere stuff. Like, we're no one's going to escape unless they have help. We did have to stop for a bathroom uh, only because the prison buses, uh, their toilet started overflowing, which thankfully I, they were able to fix that. I guess it was a known issue. I don't know. But I got to use the toilet. It's super fun, though, because when you go to the back, uh, it's very hard to navigate. <laughs> like, you're trying not to fall over while this whole bus is rocking back and forth. You got your uh, belly chain going on, so it's very hard to get, you know, your pants down just enough for your <laughs> to do your business. Uh, super difficult to uh, maneuver because you got your ankle chains and everything. Uh but I was able to, thankfully, not just pee all over myself. <laughs> so that's weirdly one memory that sticks out. Uh, the mind-numbing boredom of that drive is something else that sticks out. Um, but I will say, I will say, I did at least enjoy the tiny bit that I could see through the window. Keep in mind, I did two years at county jail. Never got to go outside that entire time. Never got to see my family or friends in person. 
the drive itself, other than being like transported back and forth between county jail and uh, the courthouse, that was the only times I got to go out. It's the only times I got to see anything outside. So being able to see like long stretches of nothing were still nice, but there was the mystery like, where am I going? Where am I headed? What will this camp be like? And we had to stop at a couple other smaller facilities along the way to pick up people. But eventually, after a exceedingly long period of time, we made it to our destination. Which, the first place we rolled up to was a prison. It did not look like a camp. The first place we rolled up to was double barbed wire fences with gun towers all around it. And it kind of stressed me out because I was like, that is not camp. And then everyone said, oh, no, this is the other state prison. We have to drop off other people that are getting transferred and also pick up some people. Okay, cool, whatever. I said the next place that we were headed to would be the camp. Okay, perfect, good. So we started going down some more smaller rural roads. I'm starting to see, uh, starting to see communities. I'm starting to see regular-looking buildings, like a little town and everything. I was like, okay, cool, yeah, minimum security, maybe like... We're in, we're close to, you know, uh, civilization, so to speak. Like, we're not just off in the middle of nowhere where everyone's afraid of us, and that's why we keep them out of sight, out of mind. We're somewhat integrated into the community. Okay, awesome. And then we pull up to another fucking prison. Again with barbed wire fences, again with gun towers, and I'm like, oh my god. And they're like, we're here. And... I was just like, okay. So they started telling everyone to get off, including me. And I'm stressed out again. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is prison, guys. Um, and they said, if you're here for the camp, just step to the side. And I kid you not, we walked about like 50 more feet just past like this area where I couldn't see because my line of sight. And right around the corner is this camp, like basically adjacent to this massive prison and this camp looks like a camp it looks like there's five dormitories that are kind of like barrack style if you were in the military and then there looks like there's a large barn sized gym and it looks like okay wait we got an outdoor uh you know basketball hoop i'm seeing people outside playing like enjoying their yard time their free time wait there's a dog over there there is a dog over there and it just, everything right in that second click. Like, I, I was like, okay. It, it was what I was hoping for. This isn't to say that I'm not going to be surrounded by criminals, gangsters, people who want to hurt other people, get over on other people, whatever. Like, I'm still with the same group of people, Right? Like, the people that go from jail go to prison. The people that go from prison go to camp. Like, nothing's actually changed. So, I knew that my journey, while it might improve as far as a location or an environment, it wouldn't overly change. I would still be surrounded by the same mindset and the same people. They might take different forms and they might have different names or whatever, but still, same groupings. So, I was still very careful of who I made friends with or acquaintances with. Um, but I got brought in, uh, and the weird thing, so by this time I like kind of had a mustache already, like my facial hair was growing in because we didn't really need to shave too much. We need, we still needed to be clean cut, but 
Like I showed up basically with a mustache and I showed up with long hair because I wasn't able to cut my hair while I was in prison. So I probably had maybe like a five month growth on my hair, longest it had been ever. And it was unlike my experience when I first got to prison. No shot caller approached me. Nobody asked me for my paperwork. In fact, nobody talked to me at all. And it was perfect. I somehow was like under the radar. No one like came up to claim me or say, you know, this is who you you are. You're now with us kind of thing. It was, it was a very different experience. So eventually like word had gotten around like the new guy or the new people because there was a couple of us. Uh, they re- recognized like, hey, this is my name. This is what I'm in for. And more or less that I'm white or that was my affiliation, if you will. So I was pretty much just ignored. Like it was a DUI camp, generally speaking. Like a majority of the people that got sent here were DUIers. And the reasoning for that was because they had a very large uh, wildland firefighting program as well as a forestry program. They had a horse training program. They had a dairy farm. And they also had uh, the tag plant uh, where they made license plates. And then there was a couple other uh, jobs within that. So it was just like a place that was designed with the idea in mind that people that go to a minimum security facility, these people are going home one day. A majority of people that are going to prison and jail, they are coming home one day. Everyone that just has this weird stigma against criminals or people that have committed crimes or people, even for let's say, that have broken the law, there's a huge stigma between the like against those people. Like, okay, well, now they're lesser citizens or they are uh, people that we should look at with, I don't know, some sort of trepidation or hold this grudge against them for the rest of their lives because we have now labeled them as felons. Well, guess what? These felons, they're coming home again. They are coming home and they're going to receive that treatment. They're going to feel the way you feel towards them. So I'm not blaming society for that, but it is very hard for people who are already labeled to make something better of themselves when they keep uh, meeting so much opposition and so much resistance to their betterment. Want to get a good paying job? You're a felon. No, you can't. You're disqualified. We're not going to give you a chance. Are we going to hire the felon versus the person that has a clean record? More than likely not. More than likely not. But anyway, I got into uh, I got into camp. It's almost it's pretty much nighttime at this point. I got assigned to um, the third unit, and unfortunately, I was in the very first cube in one of the very first beds. Now there's. Uh, three bunk beds in each cube. Uh, there are obviously two beds per bunk. And there are, I can't even remember how many cubes, but there were 72 people per unit. So there were 360 people at this facility. Now, the downside of being in the first cube is that's where the bathrooms are located. And one of the problems with the bathrooms is, one, that's where everyone works out once uh, you know the yard's locked down. Sometimes the yard can be locked down for weeks on end or days even. So people are work, working out in the bathroom at all hours of the day. Also, and I hate to say this so specifically, but usually the blacks, and I'm not going to say African-Americans because that's, that's far too general. I had a discussion with a friend 
one of my actually good friends from the street. And I was like, I just wanted to know, how do you identify? And he said, I identify as an African-American. And I said, why? You are from Jamaica. You're not from Africa. You're from Jamaica. You're black. Like, I mean, I get it. It's a nice distinction, I suppose. But we're just American. You don't need to say African-American. You don't need to even say black American. But it's weird to me that you identify as such when you aren't. You just bought into a label that somebody else gave you. So as a general term, mostly black people would be gambling or shooting dice or just unfortunately being obnoxiously loud with no consideration to anyone around them. And if you tried to quiet them or what have you, this could be at all hours of the day. So one in the morning, I don't want to hear someone shooting dice yelling, ha, and snapping their fingers to every time they shoot, getting in fights because they thought somebody cheated or they don't want to pay their debt. Like, way too much going on. But you can't say anything against them because then that will be taken as disrespect and now you got to get down and fight. Because apparently, that's the only solution. Whoever's the strongest is the one who's right. And I'm not saying it just specific to that one race. That was the mental standard be, be from all races. Whoever's the strongest, loudest, most aggressive, whoever, that's the guy that makes the rules, I guess. So uh, it was just like from day one, it was a huge improvement, but like worse in different ways. It was similar to county jail where I was in that one incentive unit where we just had too much free time. So there was no time when anyone could be quiet, shut the fuck up, and just go to sleep. Because of differing schedules, and because most of these people did meth most of their lives, they were just wired permanently. So, it was an improvement in uh, certain ways, but the people, like I said, were not. Now, I did discover the next day when I finally got to kind of go out and figure out what the yard was all about. We had a library. We had a track and field where I could go jogging. Um, I wasn't allowed to go to like the ranch or the farm or anything because that is only for the people that were employed there. Um, and obviously, you had to stay within the confines of the fence that was around the camp. But it was a chain link fence. It wasn't, And there was no barbed wire. There was nothing preventing me from leaving. I could just walk out. And you know what? A lot of people did that, and every single one of them got caught. And they got sent back to real prison, and once you get an escape charge, you are never going to a minimum security facility. That will be a discussion on its own. Uh, don't know why people do that. Uh, it's called short-timer syndrome. A lot of people start getting antsy when they are getting ready to go home. Uh, surprisingly, a lot of people can't handle freedom. So uh, I will go into more detail on the camp itself. But this episode was just uh, to kind of show you how that transition looks. It is a, it's a very long process and it's something that you just basically wait and invest all your time and energy into because you just hope that this is one step closer to home. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Road Less Traveled. I would like to repeat if you guys, uh, you know, would like to like this or share this subscribe you know do all the things please do it helps you know there's a one-man operation and thank you for the people that keep tuning in uh, the numbers are looking good so thank you again guys i hope i see you on the next episode i am your host db and thank you again for tuning in